0: Welcome to Heart of the Enneagram. I'm Chris Copeland.
1: And I'm Sandra Smith.
0: And we invite you to take a courageous and loving look at what is.
2: For anyone that has, uh, 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 you know, has the... The melancholy that I developed pretty early on, uh, to know that you do grow out of it, is a is a nice thing, or that you can grow out of it anyway. Continuing to do the the inner work uh, that all of us have to do.
1: Excited about this episode today.
0: Me too, Sandra. As we explore another question in our series on myths and questions
1: in the fine city of Asheville.
0: Yes. So you know this question that we often get as we um, as we work, and also our listeners ask is does Enneagram type change over the course of one's life? Because folks wonder, you know, if I'm a type two now, do I? Does that somehow change? And you know, the quick answer to that is no. The type doesn't change. But what does change is the expression of that type over the course of our life and sort of how we live that out, how it becomes manifest. And so that's what we want to explore some today. And so we have a couple of guests with us today that we're excited to welcome who are going to help us explore how type, expression of type changes over the course of life.
1: Yes, we're excited to welcome Asher Walker-Wilson and Ed Hillman, both who lead with Type 4. Asher Walker-Wilson is a senior at Asheville High School and will attend Grinnell College in Iowa this August. He is an avid reader, loves to travel, has lived in Columbia, South America, and is fluent in Spanish. He's a huge soccer fan and deeply committed to social justice. Welcome, Asher. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being with us. And Ed Hillman is an ordained United Methodist pastor. He served local churches in Western North Carolina for 28 years before joining the Givens Estates Retirement Community, as their director of ministries. Seven years ago, he he began that. He and his spouse, Leslie, have three grown children and an awkward dog named Rocky. Welcome, Ed.
2: Thank you. It's good to be here.
1: Yeah. So moving into this conversation with you two, um, how, how do you, each of you, how do you most know that you lead with type four? What tells you that?
3: You know, um, I think it would be for me when I was a child, um, instead of sort of doing the the typical go, go to another kid's house and and play and stuff like that, I would find myself, uh, reading and off in a corner and doing my own thing. And my parents didn't think that was a bad thing, but they didn't think it was necessarily a, a normal thing. And so right away from, from, from when I started growing up, I knew that I was, uh, sort of a, a bit introverted and then that grew and grew as my educational experience grew and um, when I typed myself uh, I just figured that the four was really the only thing that fit me Enneagram mm-hmm. wise.
1: Mm-hmm. Four is a withdrawing type so that
0: makes sense. Did you feel different as that is that part of it?
3: Um, I don't know if difference the right word but certainly I, I didn't necessarily feel normal mm. um, but I mean it just depends on what you want to call it yeah.
1: How about you, Ed?
2: Well, nowadays uh, the four comes out in me and my uh, the the creativity with which I uh, I minister, um, uh, worship, uh, uh, design, and that sort of thing. the um, uh, the mystical expressions of the faith as well. Mm. I uh, I still long for that kind of deep connection. Uh, with the spirit and with other people mm-hmm. that uh, uh, that have long identified with, and um, it's good to be a four <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: What do you like most about uh-huh. it Ed?
2: Um, Well, I think that uh, you know there is a sense of being different that that I used to have uh, nowadays, my mantra is. Remember, Ed, you're unique, just like everybody else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. Um, but I, uh, I continue to like to, uh, uh, to explore my inner thoughts. Uh, I, I do think that um, a lot of our spiritual quest has to be within, mm-hmm. you know, not without. Um, I, I'm enjoying uh, uh, dressing as a four now. Uh, I am, uh, I'm dressed, you can't see it, I'm dressed very conservatively in some ways, but I've got on my hipster sneakers, <laughs> so, so I like to mix genres as far as that goes. Don't put you in a category, but right? That's, that's <laughs> right, that's right, don't fence me in.
1: How do you find uh, your Enneagram Type 4 tripping you up these days, or getting you in trouble a bit?
3: Um. Uh, I think for me, it's sort of double double-edged sword sort of i i am one of the more honest people that that my friends and myself that i that i interact with and that really gets me in trouble uh just because i need to have the the wherewithal when i'm talking to people and more tact when i sort of am talking people through all the different emotions that uh, they share with me because that's part of the four too Mm because sort of being more empathetic and sort of being there mentally for and uh, emotionally for other people. But then you have to watch yourself honesty wise.
0: Mm. What's your emotional life like Asher? Talk about your emotional life.
3: Uh, I think there's a lot of shame that, that isn't necessarily sort of there's not like a button to press that, Oh, this is it. But I think uh, like, like there's shame, but also there's, there's deep honesty and integrity and sort of those combinations really, are good for being there for other people, but mm-hmm. sometimes you get tripped up when you're trying to be there for yourself. Mm-hmm.
0: Can you think Can of I'm an example th- of that?
3: A lot of people come to me for advice like in their interpersonal relationships and lots of times I end up giving them great advice and then I don't use my own advice mm. and that leads me down a rabbit hole of just feeling like uh, like I, f- I know that this is what I should have done um, and I know that this is how it gets better but i didn't do it Mm. and that's because i don't know why Mm. it's because i'm in my own head i guess but you never know
1: Mm. that's a good question to ask yourself why is this Mm -hmm. what's Mm. my resistance about to following my own advice yeah absolutely
3: what's the rabbit hole like uh i don't know it's it's a pretty deep one i'd say Mm -hmm. um but it's uh it's it's sort of an interesting experience just because I think it depends on, on what it is. It can be sort of more emotional, whether that's like uh, relationships with other people, sort of like what am I doing wrong or how are they wronging me? And that's not necessarily fair to them or or anybody. Hmm. But also it can be more just personalized, like um, how can you be more successful? How can you get to the next place where you want to be? But also not be ashamed by those steps and who you step on and Mm. and things like that.
1: I'm so curious. You've talked about thinking. Mm -hmm. And of course, four is in the heart triad. And it's just an important point that just because someone leads with a type in the heart triad, that they can't overthink Mm -hmm. uh, or be too much in the head. But what's happening in the head may be something like fantastical thinking or comparing mind for type four. I don't know if any of that applies, but I think you bring up a good point just in naming uh, thinking.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, those thoughts are influenced by those feelings. I mean, right. the, the dominance is the heart. Absolutely. I mm-hmm. mean, I wouldn't ever argue against that for, for me in particular, but fours in general, but really the heart influences that thinking. So mm-hmm. yeah, I think you're spot on.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank nice. you. What about you, Ad?
2: How does your type chip you up? Uh, well, a lot of what Asher is saying is is very familiar. The uh, uh, sometimes I get involved in these internal dialogues that now, after sixty two years, they've kind of cut themselves pretty deep, <laughs> mm. and I have to uh, have to remember to pull back from that. Some people uh, call those ruts, Ed. Just uh, yes, <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: I think of them as as recording grooves because I play them over and over. Nice, beautiful, <laughs> That's wonderful. Uh, in the head. Um, and, and yes, the, uh, uh, the compassion, the empathy with others, you, especially in my profession, you want to give of yourself, uh, uh, to other folks and you can get, especially if you're under stress, you can get a little too caught up. And uh, I think the, the two is my, uh, my stress go-to, uh, place. And, and that, uh, that can put me into this manic giving of myself mm-hmm. that is not really a good idea, uh, and can and can feed on itself. Mm-hmm. So occasionally, I do have to pull back, do some self-care, and um, and realize that I don't have to be there. Uh, the other place, and and historically speaking, this is true for me, is that uh, uh, I'm. I'm often obsessing on what I consider missing mm-hmm. in my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it's funny, when um, when I was first reading about the Enneagram and the, uh, the, uh, the kind of the undoing point being envy, I thought, well, gee whiz, I don't, I'm not really conscious of being envious of other people per se, uh, but then, then you begin to notice... Mm-hmm. How you obsess over what you think is missing uh, in your own life and um, and so that's a point that can uh, they can be troublesome for me especially when it comes to relationship mm.
1: <laughs> Sure okay yeah. when
2: you say that what do you mean when you say especially when it comes to relationship Oh my primary relationship that I am in with my wife of 36 years I, I sometimes you know will will sit and, and, and think of what is missing mm. when I should be uh, appreciating what is present there you and go. here, kind of thing. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yes, beautifully said.
1: Yeah. And, you know, fours, threes, and twos are in the um, triad where you all uh, very adeptly wear a role. Yes. And I think as uh, a minister at uh, a retirement facility, in stress, you're just going to step into that role and overdo it now you may go to two but you can also just stay right on point because you're overdoing a role and you know who am I without it and how do you step out of it yeah it's tough those roles
0: So I have a curiosity for both of you about when you talk about tripping us up is uh, mood. So sometimes, you know, as I lead with type four, I can notice that the mood can shift pretty significantly, maybe pretty quickly. Is that something that you've noticed in your lives?
3: Um, I'd say yes for me. I mean, I struggled with sort of just being very emotional, very angry in middle school and early high school. But and then I sort of calm myself down. And now it's to a point in which it's sort of. When I, I can feel those internal moods and then it's sort of you got to really work hard to sort of blanket those with whatever you're trying to trying to, trying to sort of give to the public that you're interacting with. Mm. And that can't always be a good thing because mm. sometimes they need to hear what what's going on with you really deep down. But, uh, I mean, oftentimes there are moments in which you need to be mad or should be mad and it's just absolute calm. Yeah. And I think that's sort of, it's like an over um, sort of stepping with that defense mechanism. It's Mm. like too angry when I was young, but now too calm. Mm.
1: Well, and there's a big difference in feeling and acknowledging the emotion and expressing it. Absolutely. Because the wisdom is when we express an emotion, we're not feeling it. Mm -hmm. So good for you. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: Ed, do you want to respond to that question about (laughs) mood?
2: Well, indeed, um, y- you know, I can, I can remember uh, earlier in life that, that, that my moods were pretty much up and down. I, I could really ride the roller coaster. Um, I was angry uh, a good bit. Uh, in my role as a pastor, though, I was not allowed to show that anger mm-hmm. uh, very much. And that's, uh, unfortunately, one of those classic things when uh, anger gets turned inside uh, you deal with a lot of sadness and, uh, and, and melancholy. And so uh, I, I dealt with that for a, a good bit of my life. Mm-hmm. Not so much anymore. Things have, uh, have changed for me in my, in my older age. And I remember one thing in particular that was kind of funny. I uh, started seeing a therapist in my uh, mid to late 20s. And I remember, uh, I think I was 28 years old, And about the third session with this particular uh, counselor, he said, well, I was reviewing your files yesterday, and and everything that you were saying to me seemed familiar, but I couldn't pin down what it is that's really going on with you. He said, I woke up in the middle of the night last night, and I knew what was going on with you. You're 28 years old. You're having a midlife crisis. You really need to lighten up.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh. Yeah, I, I remember at 25 when I said I was having a quarter-life crisis. Right? Quarter life. <laughs> There's always a little drama there, right? That's right, that's right. <laughs> drama is good. <laughs> Until it's not. That's, that's right. Until it's not.
1: Well, it's one of those ways, I think, um, when overdone, that fours can create their own suffering. And, of course, we read yes. in the material and hear from other fours that there can be a love affair with suffering and um, to really consider, as a four, how you create your own suffering and how do you let that go. What, what has that been like for you, too? Mm-hmm.
2: Well, when you throw in religion to it and suffering, you really get crazy <laughs> oh, in a lot of ways. Goodness. There you go. Some of my favorite books from seminary were Unamuno's The uh, Tragic Sense of Life, You mm-hmm. know, because you feel that early on. Um, uh, and yet... Uh, on on this side of things, uh, you you understand uh, that 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 parts of life really are tragic, and uh, uh, but you you know you can have a little bit uh, better perspective uh, as your as your moods begin to level out and that sort of thing. I didn't used to like being a four. I'll confess that mm-hmm. uh, in a way. But as you said, being in love with your own pain, mm-hmm. feeling like you're different, mm-hmm. uh, those were things that gave me a little bit of uh, of, of vindication. Uh, now, not so much mm-hmm. a problem mm-hmm. for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, Asher, Ed, talked a little bit about two things that struck me. One is this idea of noticing what's missing. Mm-hmm. Is that something that you notice in yourself?
3: Um, yeah, I, I, I think I think that does sort of fit with... With uh, how I how I uh, feel things, how I think about things, um, but I would say that for me it's more about sort of uh, nostalgia, maybe mm-hmm. sort of being stuck in the past, because um, at least from from what I've understood about what what it is a four is, is that they they get stuck in their own mind a lot, and, and for me that isn't necessarily like what's going to happen in the future. What am I going to have? What am I going to do in college or stuff like that? I'm not necessarily worried much about that, but just sort of everyday interactions, like, oh, I really flubbed on that, Mm I I really hurt somebody's feelings, or oh, that person did me wrong, Mm -hmm. sort of really holding on to the inconsequential sort of things from a long time ago, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think what's missing is uh, a perfect way to think about that, interestingly, because it's like, uh, what's missing is the closure, what's missing is getting away from feeling those things, and being able to to look to the future.
0: That makes me think of the image that you said, Ed, about the groove, the sort of like you have an interaction and mm-hmm. then you go back and you play it over Absolutely. in your mind. Yeah. You're like, oh, I got wrong. Or, and I think that might actually have to do with, I, I think I have a five
3: wing. And so that over analysis, that sort of leaping back and sort of being having that analytical mind, um, I think that would be also similar into what you're talking about. Mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm.
0: What about sadness or melancholy or those things that you are aware of in yourself?
3: I mean, I think that those are, are definitely definitely there. I think uh, Ed was absolutely right when he talked about like anger turning to those. Because I don't think that I have much of that by itself. Mm. But because um, I have a lot of anger, I, I, I create those things for myself. So it's like there isn't necessarily a situation that creates sadness, but a situation that creates anger is vicariously then sad
1: both of you have mentioned issues that are up for you or have been in the past what have you done to what kind of practice or strategy did you create for yourself or are you creating for yourselves to move past some of these things that trip you up
3: I think for me, sort of, um, getting, getting unstuck from the past, um, being more in the present, but also sort of just valuing, um, what others sort of offer for my own sort of picture, whether that's me- like, uh, emotional or, or physical or m- mentally speaking in a, in a, in a general sense. Um, I think a lot of times fours get it where they're the only one, mm-hmm. um, they're the uh, they're the I don't I wouldn't say that they're like absolutely like egotists or like very self centered but they sort of think that they're so unique um, I certainly do this that they lose touch with what other people offer mm-hmm. and so as I go off to college sort of grounding myself in um, sort of what my parents give me uh, whether that's monetarily but also just emotionally um, as a as a gift but also sort of my friends and, and that support network that that was here for me for however many years, I mean, 15, 16 years that uh, that I've been here in Asheville. And so it's it's just, it's something like getting out of the rut would be, would be being more in the present.
0: Mm-hmm. Are yeah. there things that help you become, become more in the present, particular practices or things that help you do that?
3: Interestingly enough, I think it's doing the exact thing that, is sometimes really bad, which is overthinking. Hmm. I think stopping and just looking at a situation like um, my parents did this or my friend did this, and that's really a gesture towards me, and it's not a reflection of them thinking I need something or a reflection to something that I'm missing. Mm -hmm. It's something that is a gift to me, and it's an addition rather than sort of uh, putting putting something in place of of what I have.
1: Hmm. Well, especially if you if you think and stay with the
3: facts. Mm -hmm, Absolutely.
1: You know, if you can go fact over emotion, you're halfway there. Yeah. Feelings over facts. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Facts over feelings. (laughs) (laughs) And then just to get in the body, you Mm -hmm. know, sometimes we can be in the head and these stories loop around and really are scary and turn us upside down. But to just get in the body and especially for fours to stay with facts is so helpful. Yeah, yeah. Thank yeah you. for
0: me, like I think about um, I can get obsessive in my mind about thinking about replaying something mm-hmm. over and over. Mm-hmm. And then there's a different part of my mind. Sometimes we call that in the Enneagram, the inner observer. But it's that part of me that says, oh, look at you obsessing <laughs> about that, that you don't really need to do that right now. Let's mm-hmm. shift gear. So it's it is my mind, but I'm using my mind in a different way instead of that obsessiveness.
2: Sure. Yeah along those, along those very lines, it, it seems almost cliche in our culture right now, but the, uh, the gratitude practice, mm-hmm. uh, when I, when I find myself, uh, going through those same, uh, tracks, uh, again, you know, just trying to train myself to understand what you're doing and, and focus on something that you're really grateful for. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, doing that as i lay my head on the pillow at night uh, uh as I'm going down the road noticing something and um uh giving thanks for that so that I'm not um, uh, I'm not obsessing about what I don't have and in point of fact over the door in my office I have this huge sign that says be happy with what you have mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's one of those counsels that uh should come from religious faith. A little bit more, more of a challenge, perhaps, <laughs> uh, for uh, uh, for a four. Um, and some of the ancient hurts too. I've done some some interesting things, actually, going back and visiting certain people at times that had uh, had caused me pain in the past, and uh, you know, realizing what a different person they are now. Mm. Uh, not that person that I am remembering. And that, uh, that's been helpful in a couple of circumstances. Uh, I'm also doing a, um, an interesting st- uh, study, uh, practice right now, uh, using the book uh, From Aging to Saging, mm. where those of us in this uh, third part of life, or some people call it the second half of life, uh, can go back and reframe mm-hmm. things that have happened in their lives, so that it's not the the utter disaster, you know, that you thought it was at one time, uh, but a help a help something that has made you, you know, into what you are now, mm-hmm. and uh, and that's been very helpful.
1: Just listening to you, Ed, reminds me. It sounds to me like you're using these three pillars of self-awareness, which one is just to be present with yourself so that you can, as you said, Chris, notice that there is an inner observer. And the inner observer within all of us does not get hooked into the structure. It stands aside so it can watch us. But we have to be present in order to connect with it. And once we do, we shift attention. So then you're shifting to gratefulness. Yes. Or you're allowing the story to take in more of reality so that you see a person who caused an ancient hurt in a different way. That's beautiful.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, thank you for that.
2: I remember as a uh, late teen, I was in college, and some friends were introducing me to uh, uh, a potential interest that they had for me, and uh, we had an interaction, and then I left, and uh, and my friends reported to me. Well, when you left, she said, "There is an intense young man." <laughs> 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 and the funny thing was, I thought of that as a compliment, and she did not mean it that
0: way. <laughs> <laughs> Has anybody ever mm. described you as intense? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yep.
3: That's one of those uh, go-to, go-to words. <laughs>
1: question that came to me just from the introduction that Asher uh, wrote, which is you lived in Columbia, South America, Mm -hmm. and I just wonder how that shaped um, you, uh, including your type, if that, what kind of impact that had.
3: Yeah, I was there uh, during a formative period of my life, uh, from second to fourth grade, Um, and uh, I was uh, there because with uh, an organization, Mennonite Central Committee, and my family's not Mennonite, but some of my uh, grandparents and other relatives are, mm-hmm. and sort of uh, seeing the, the daily suffering of people in poverty sort of made me aware of uh, a different perspective in life that, mm-hmm. I, that I hold today. And I think that's part of the reason why I think I'm different, um, because I'm aware of, of those certain things, but also it's part of the reason why I'm aware of uh, sort of empathy-wise. Um, and sort of being uh, able to converse with people no matter their uh, class or race or status. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's a gift that I've been given, but also it's sort of a curse because you know what's really going on.
1: Well, you certainly had that filter Mm -hmm. and uh, disposition of four, and that really contributed to um, making that more real for you possibly. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, what was
0: it like when you came back to the States? Uh,
3: well, it was interesting because the rest of my family, we, we came back because my my mom's mother passed away. Um, and uh, it's a family of four, just my brother and I and my two parents. And the other three people were super excited to come home. They were tired of living in another place, and they were tired of the daily struggles that it comes with, sort of having to step in between, oh, I, we work with the poorest of the poor, and we... Uh, go to school with the richest of the rich mm. um and sort of they were tired but um i had friends there and i was young and i was crying more when we left columbia than than when we went mm. and that sort of sort of speaks to to sort of how i guess i would consider my experience a little bit different than theirs just because uh i i felt more accepted by that society uh, i felt uh sort of I, I fit in a little bit better mm-hmm. or at least I thought I did mm-hmm. and then I had to do it again uh, in middle school yeah. and and so sort of having to do that twice is is not a necessarily fun thing <laughs> for sure yeah. for sure
0: mm-hmm. mm. Thank you thank you. <laughs> So, Ed, um, as you think, you mentioned kind of thinking back in your teenage years, but as you think about that, um, who you are now and who you were then, um, you know, is there some wisdom or something you wish you had known at that age um, that you might offer to Asher or to anybody who's listening? Um, Yes. Uh, I I think,
2: in a way, fours may feel a special burden uh, uh, younger in life. Uh, we, uh, you know, in our, in our search for authenticity, uh, I used to look at my peers when I was a teenager and think, golly, what a bunch of shallow people. <laughs> <laughs> and,
0: uh, oh, what's that? What's your reaction? I love your it? face there, Asher. I'm,
3: I'm right there with you. <laughs> that sounds familiar. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, in, indeed. And, you know, it, it
2: takes a long time to realize, no, they're not shallow. They just look at things in a different kind of way mm-hmm. uh, uh, than you do. Um, and there were, unfortunately, there was a, a real tragic event in my life when I was a, a teenager, the death of a younger uh, brother. And that uh, that cemented a kind of a depressive uh, uh, tendency and outlook that really took me a long mm-hmm. time uh, to to get around and for you know for anyone that has uh, uh, um, you know has the the melancholy that I developed pretty early on uh, to know that you do grow out of it. Mm-hmm is a is a nice thing or that you can grow out of it anyway continuing to do the the inner work uh, that all of us have to do uh somewhere around year 50 for me things really began to change mm. I just uh, the the inner teacher mm. kicked in a little bit more mm-hmm. um and um uh, and now I'm quite pleased to be a 4, where I couldn't <laughs> really have said yeah. that earlier <laughs> on.
1: I, I love that you said the inner teacher kicked in because uh, type 4 is known as an age-regressed type. Um, and to know that there is a not only an inner child, but an inner elder in there, and to give that inner elder some space, no matter our age, because it's there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Is there anything, Ed, that you could suggest uh, parents or friends of a four who is suffering the death of a dear one?
2: For me, you know, thinking back on that time, my friends who just came and sat, Mm -hmm. like Job's friends, they didn't try to fix me, in in some ways didn't really even try to console me. They just sat with me Mm -hmm. uh, in in that space and in that pain, and that was a That was a good thing, Mm -hmm. Uh, being being supportive. uh, um, uh, You know the the hug gestures, the unspoken things that uh, that people did were uh, were I think very important for for uh, for me uh, as a four in that time.
1: The abiding presence. Yes. Okay.
2: What what really does not help a four? I don't think it helps anybody. But what doesn't help are those that want to fix you. Yep. Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Yep. Or I was thinking too, those that want you to rush past the feelings. Right. Right. Because we do I mean, we can get stuck in the feelings, but it's important that we really stay with them yeah. and honor the feelings. Quite so. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah,
3: and if and if you don't don't honor those feelings you get to the to the, what I was talking about earlier, which is you get stuck in those and you yeah. get trapped in those and yep. they can follow you for however long you're, you're around. Um, so, yeah, I think you're right. That's
0: very true. That's a, that's a, a trick for us as we get stuck in them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for a sure. long time. <laughs> <laughs> that's right.
1: Well, you know, it becomes, I think, if it's a long time because Elizabeth, uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross taught us that a real emotion lasts 90 seconds. After that, we are romancing or stuck in a story loop.
0: Mm-hmm. It's that word nostalgia that mm-hmm. you use. Yes. Yeah. Thank yes, you, Chris. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And so we're kind of believing a story rather than feeling the emotion. Those yeah. are very different. And
0: if we actually allow ourselves to feel it, then it actually dissipates. Right, it without loses the story.
2: It loses the power. Richard Rohr, one of the commentators that I read, he's a, a Franciscan and a spiritual teacher that I've uh, done some work with, uh, he's actually written on the en- Enneagram, and, uh, and he talks about fours not being genuinely present to their own emotions, which I think is... Or the is, authentic emotions. Yes, which mm-hmm. is what I think you're saying there, mm-hmm. that there's mm-hmm. some... We get involved in the story of it, mm-hmm. but not the emotion itself.
0: Yeah, because the irony is we value 4 we fours value authenticity. Yeah. And yet... We, we don't often get to the authentic feeling because we attach to the mm-hmm. story. Yeah. Beautifully yeah. said. Yeah. What about you, Asher? Um, what are some things that, um, you know, what the heck you get to ask Ed, uh, <laughs> who's somebody who's laid a little longer than you and, and sort of embodied this foreness? Um, anything you might ask him? Any wonderings, questions?
3: Well, I mean, I was struck by what you said. How it it took you so long to to get to where you were at, and that that's not necessarily a negative thing. But for for people, if they wanted to get there as soon as possible, what what do you think would would help them get there before fifty, yeah. or if that's even possible? Because I mean, if it's not, then that's okay too. It's just part of the process. But
2: yes, and and I think part of it is our. Our own history and, mm-hmm. and where we've come from. Uh, e- each of us really does have a different path. It's not just me being different. <laughs> Every, all of us really do have a different path. Um, and, and I'm not sure. Uh, you know, there's that that old Zen saying: uh, when the student is ready, the teacher will come. And and sometimes it takes someone like me a lot longer before mm-hmm. uh, before I'm ready. Um i do think I do think a gratitude practice is just a good thing uh, altogether to find your group uh that you can be real with, and that was a small group for me mm-hmm. back in the day small group and they were they were actually all in the church, which was uh, very interesting I don't know if it was a group of fours that I met you know just <laughs> gathered together but um uh uh, but in some ways, we, we all had that, that similarity that uh, both helped us and, of course, made us more crazy, too, in some ways. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, Chris, you too have a gratitude practice. Is that right?
0: Mm-hmm. It is. It's a everyday writing down in my, I have a journal that I, I write specific things. And then I also try to, um, you named some of this, Ed, but, you know, in driving or in interacting with people, really trying to just find a place of gratitude, which interrupts that habitual pattern of what's missing, what's not there. Mm. So does, is that Asher anything that you've noticed in your own life? Um, I mean, certainly I don't, I don't, uh, I don't write it down, but I, I try to, I try to do that. And
3: I also try to, to get it out. I try to name it. So if I'm in a, in a conversation or in a situation like, oh, thank you for, for being present there for me, I think, I mean, at least for me, I can do it in my own head, and mm. it's helpful. Mm-hmm. But to 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 let others know that I'm capable of doing it is also very important because sometimes they wouldn't think that you are because it's it's all in your head, like like you said. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Nice. Well, comparing
1: well comparing mind and gratefulness can't coexist. So that gratefulness practice is really big because the comparing mind, and you've spoken to it in different ways with different language is really uh prevalent in the mind of a four
0: hmm. well thank you both for uh, for being here and for sharing of your experiences and thanks for having us yeah, yeah my pleasure yeah it's yeah. been great what a gift
1: well so with heartfelt gratitude i'm sandra
0: and i'm chris and we invite you to continue to look courageously and lovingly at what is We want to thank all who've made this podcast a reality, including Wake Forest University School of Divinity for their financial and institutional support. For Sally Ann Morris who composed our theme music and for Toby Becker who provided graphic design.
1: Thanks to Eric Merle for his editing expertise, to Tom and Lynn Berner who provided recording space and to the Narrative Enneagram and our mentors, Helen Palmer and Dr. David Daniels, its founders, And special thanks to all of our guests.
0: We offer this podcast as a free resource for personal and spiritual growth. And in order to continue this work, we need your support. Please visit our website, heartoftheenneagram.com, to make a contribution and to purchase our companion book.
1: In the days that lie ahead, may your mind be curious, your heart courageous, and your presence compassionate.